0: Hey, 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 how are we doing today? Good? Yeah. Woo! <laughs> All right, theater one, theater two, and I got to apologize ahead of time for those of you who are streaming online to our, uh, uh, to our, our different, uh, our campus, and, and, and so on and so forth. Um, I, we need to try that again. Let me just set the scene for you, okay? Um, think about this. You have a, a great church here, like best church in Evansville. If I live in this area, this is where I would go you just got done singing worship songs. It's a beautiful day outside. You don't live in West Virginia. How are we doing today? Good? Good? All right. Hey, uh, if, you know, theater one and two, thank you for being here. If you're watching this uh, right now, live via streaming, either before or after the fact or listening, welcome to you. Welcome to those of you who are at our Blandville campus, as well as those of you who are watching and listening via translation. We are glad that you're here. Um, this is a church where it's okay not to be okay, but we all just link up together, and we follow Jesus. So I just want to encourage you that if you're just kicking the tires and checking underneath the hood, keep on checking out this church because this is an incredible church, again, where they love God, they love people, and we all link up and we join arms together. Let me tell you a little bit about me. Um, I, I love the leadership team at this church. I love many of the people at this church, um, even Rick Heil as much as somebody can. Um, Laughter I really do. I love this church, and uh, I live in the Los Angeles area because I enjoy not having money and paying way too much on rent and my mortgage and so on and so forth. I'm married to my wife, Amy, who is a therapist. She's a Christian counselor, and she is a muy caliente Latina, and in her wildest imagination, she had no clue that her knight in shining armor would be a cross between Gru, Dr. Evil, and Uncle Fester. I mean, right here. (laughs) This is her eye candy that she wakes up to every morning. She's a lucky, lucky lady. And then we have my 14-year-old son named Joel. We have our 12-year-old daughter named Rachel, who's going on 21 already. With the little attitude she has right now, that's a whole other sermon. Uh, I, I just, I, I love, I love my family. Let me tell you a little bit more about my extended family. Uh, when I was two years old, my parents were both professors at uh, the University of Missouri, and they divorced. And went into same-sex relationships, again, when I was two. Um, My mom was in a 22-year monogamous relationship with a woman uh, who was a psychologist named Vera. My dad was in several different relationships. Mom and Vera moved to Kansas City, which is why I'm a fan of the greatest football team ever. See ya. Hey, listen, I understand the jealousy. I get it. I get it. Um, But do you know how long I've waited as a Chiefs fan? to have a good team, and we have a great quarterback. Okay, look, if you can't acknowledge that, here's a, you got to take it up to God, okay, because he's a Christian, and you're going to be in eternity with him forever, or who knows, maybe you won't, but he'll be there. So you, you better, you better done change your attitude and like him. Anyway, so I I love, you know, Kansas City. I love that area. But my mom and Vera, they moved there. They were activists. They joined the local board of directors for GLAAD. When I was growing up, they took me with them to clubs and bars and pride parades and campouts and house parties. And if there's one thing I learned and remembered from when I was a kid was how ugly— Christians were to gay people. I remember marching in a pride parade and at the end of the parade there were all these quote unquote Christians holding up signs saying God hates you uh, turn or burn, no room for you and when people from my mom's parade would try to go talk to them they would throw water and urine on them saying this is what Jesus thinks of you. I saw uh, Christian families ignoring their young sons, dying of AIDS in the 80s. Or if they were there, they wouldn't talk to them. They didn't want to catch anything. And I remember that so vividly because I would ask my uh, mom when I was a kid, why are they acting like this? And she would say, well, Caleb, they're Christians, and Christians hate gay people. If you're not like them, they will not like you. And so I just grew up thinking to myself, I never want to be a Christian because if Christians are this bad, I can't imagine how awful Jesus Christ is. I think sometimes we really underestimate um, how much the way we treat people, how much uh, the words we say, or the actions we take, or what we write on social media. Mm. Mm. Yeah, you know who you are. <laughs> I think we really underestimate how much that will either encourage or undermine somebody's relationship with Jesus. And so by the time I got to high school and I was 16, I, I, I couldn't stand Christians. I couldn't stand Christianity. I was sneaking out at night, living it up, partying. I, my hair was down to here, and since then, the Lord removeth and addeth other places. <laughs> I did something wrong. I don't know when it was, and I think I shrunk a little. And so, like, I, I, I was just, like, I, I just was living what I thought was my best life. And then I got invited by another high schooler to go to his house for a Bible study for high schoolers. And I thought, this is going to be perfect. I'm going to go and be a pretend Christian, a ninja Christian. You know, and dismantle their faith, and that turned out real well, as you can tell. It was a great plan. <laughs> like I remember showing up, and um, you know, we went downstairs to the basement, which I usually don't go into the woods or the basement because nothing good happens in either one. But we were all circle up studying the Bible. They told me to turn to First Corinthians. I didn't know that God put a table of contents in the Bible at that time, and so I couldn't find it. So I thought I'll just read a verse from First Chronicles. Nobody'll know. Nobody reads the Bible. And so they get to me, I read a verse about some dude getting impaled. Um, not in 1 Corinthians, by the way, just to be clear on that. And they said, Caleb, where are you? I said, well, I'm in First Chronicles. They said, oh, so you're in the, you're in the Old Testament. And I said, is there a new one? <laughs> like, I just assume if they call it the old, there's got to be a new. Is there an in-between? Like, what is this? And I, I guess I was really embarrassed, but I kept on going because I wanted to prove them wrong. And, and here's the thing, I started falling in love with Jesus. Like, Christians are still annoying. Like, I still think they're annoying. And I can say that because I is one, a Christian, okay? And we are annoying, especially in the church parking lot afterwards. I mean, good, li- good night, people are too nice. And, and that's my whole vice and a whole other sermon, so we won't even go there. But I remember, like, like, going, and I'm like, Jesus is different. He had very deep theological convictions. And he had very real expectations of how his fo- followers should um, love people and pursue holiness and chase him. But then he had very real and authentic relationships with people who were nothing like him. People that the religious elite, the Pharisees, and the Sadducees of his day would have nothing to do with. And I love what Pastor Andy Stanley says down in Atlanta that people, that people who are nothing like Jesus like Jesus and he liked them back. And I was thinking, man, I, I can get on board with Jesus if he's like that. And so I, I started studying what the Bible had to say about sexual intimacy and marriage and relationships and so on and so forth. And I came to two conclusions that I still hold today. The first one is this, that I believe personally that God designed sexual intimacy and affection to be expressed in a marriage between one man and one woman. But I also believe that a theological conviction should never be a catalyst to devalue another human being. That, that what you believe should never be the basis To mistreat anyone, because if it is, I don't know what Frankenstein version of Jesus you're following, but you're not following the real Jesus. You're following a version of Jesus mixed in with your own different, you know, beliefs about Jesus, which is not a good thing. That's not the real Jesus. And so, like I, I ended up wanting to come to Christ. So I called my friend Greg. He baptized me at the age of sixteen. It was a CIA covert operation baptism. And then I had to come out to my parents because I was nervous. You know why I was nervous? Because there is a tension that we feel between what God says, his words, and the decisions that we and other people make. that are contrary to what God's word says. There's a tension between what God says and between the trends and traditions of society. Anybody notice that? There's a tension between what, what Jesus says and what we struggle with or the decisions that our friends and family members are making that we don't agree with. And we feel this tension, and our society is full of false dichotomies, where people don't think that they actually have a voice unless they are an extremist on one side or the other. But this kind of extremism has never led to peace, not once, in the history of the world. It has never led to love, not once. And so how do we navigate? That's this tension in between, this messy middle. How do we navigate that within our relationships? How do we navigate the ability to love people and disagree with them? To disagree and keep the relationship. To hold on to our theological convictions and not throw the relationship away. Because Jesus didn't do that. He hung out with people all the time that didn't believe in him. Which was everybody at one point and even afterwards. He spent time with people who are nothing like him. So how can we do that? Well, there's a principle in a parable that we're going to look at in just a moment. And and I think that if we grab a hold of this one principle, it will help us to be able to navigate this tension that we feel in our relationships between what God says and the decisions that we and other people make. And it will help us to hold on to relationships while standing with God. theological convictions. Now, just to give you a little background, if you're not familiar with with what a parable is, if if you haven't been to church for a while, this is your first uh, Sunday here, let me just let you know what a parable is. A a parable is a fictitious story that Jesus told to illustrate an important point that he wanted his disciples, his 12 students, or his his many students, or the crowds listening to him, he wanted them to understand. And usually in a parable, like I said, it's fictitious. It's not a historical account. It's something that Jesus made up, And the the elements in a parable are very exaggerated. Also, within almost every parable, you will see God in there. He includes God. Sometimes he includes himself. He usually includes the, the people all around him so that they can see themselves in the story. And one of the most important questions that we can ask in a parable is, where do I see myself in this story? Where have I been? Where do I see myself now? And so... In this parable, we're going to find this principle that's going to be incredibly important. So if you have your Bibles and mobile devices, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 14. If you don't, we're going to have the words on the screen, and I'm actually going to read them to you so you can just listen. Here's how Jesus begins the parable. In in Luke 14, verse 16, A man prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations. Now let's just stop right there. We know a lot just from this one verse right here. Okay, A man prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations. First of all, this dude is is very, very wealthy. Most people lived in a one-room house in the first century, but he has a huge house where he can fit many people. He has a great feast that's going to be there, so he has money to buy all this food. And then he has enough money to have servants and to send out invitations at a time where people didn't even have paper. Okay, so he's going to invite the people that he knows, his friends. And he is going to have this huge banquet. I mean, dude, who wouldn't want to go? I'm there. You say banquet. You say feast. You say buffet. I'm there. Not lubies. Other than that, I'm there. But, but here's what happened in the next couple of verses. Look at verse 17 and following. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servant to tell his guests, come. The banquet is ready. But they all began making excuses. One said, I've just bought a field and must inspect it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five pairs of oxen and I want to try them out. Please excuse me. And another said, I just got married, so I can't come. Now, I'm going to give you some free advice. Here's the good news. You don't even have to tithe to get this advice. If you have a party... And you invite who you think are your friends, and one of them says, I can't come because I've got five pair of oxen that i got to break in. They're lying. (laughs) They don't like you. You know what it would be like? It would be like if you invite me out to lunch afterwards. You're like, Caleb, you want to go to lunch? I'm like, I'm washing my hair. I can't. They're going to be like, okay, I get it. You don't want to do lunch. I get it. I, I'm, you, that's fine. Whatever. I can read between the lines. And and people listening to Jesus' story, they their jaws would have, like, dropped. They would have been like, no, nobody ever did that. Because back in the first century, you, here's how the economic status broke down. So you had people in, like, the, the top class, the first class, who is like this? I mean, we think about like the 1% or the 10%, or even if you live in this country, just to let you know, you're in the top 5% in the entire world, maybe in the top 3%. And you're like, oh, you don't know how much money I don't have. You don't know how much money they don't have in, in India, in Haiti, and so on and so forth. So trust me on that, okay? So right here, like this would be a certain segment of the town. And then middle class would be like this. And then lower class and poverty economically would be like this. And you stayed within your own class. And so right here, he actually invites his friends. And none of them will come to his banquet. And then you gotta think, man, if I invite my friends and none of them can come, they're telling me, I just got married, I can't come. Like, what, what is two hours gonna cost the marriage? If you just got married. Well, I'm breaking in oxen, I'm plowing a field, you can put out that on hold. No, no, not the oxen. They get nervous. they don't like you. And you can tell this. And so here's what has to happen. Look at verse 21. The servant returned and told his master what they had said. His master was furious and said, go into the streets and the alleys of town and invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Now, whereas at first people's jaws would have dropped, now people's jaws would have hit the ground. Because what he's saying when he says, go into the streets and the alleys, go to where the middle class lives, go into the alleys where the lower class or people in extreme poverty live, or people who have no money, or people who are who have great debts live, he's saying cross economic barriers. You did not do that. But just to let you know, there are no economic territories in God's kingdom. Because one of the things that we believe at this church is what it says in Psalm 24, verse 1. Uh, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. We are merely stewards, caretakers of what God has given us. It all belongs to him. Therefore, there can't be territories when it comes to an economic worldview. So i are like, okay, capitalism, socialism. No, I'm not talking about that. That out of your head. I'm talking about the fact that everybody is welcome at the party. Right? Let me try that again. Right? Yes. Yeah, some of you are like, well, we'll get Jesus in you soon. <laughs> you look at some of these, some of these words right here, and, and they're powerful. He says, hey, go out and invite the poor. Now, obviously, poor can literally mean in the original language having a little money, but you know what it can also mean? That when you feel like you have little value. Have you ever felt like that before? You ever felt like that during the quarantine? Let's be honest, there are some of you who are introverts when the quarantine started, you're like, finally. <laughs> Praise God, he does exist. <laughs> and then there are some of you who are, like, who are extroverts, you're trying not to be like Jack Nicholson in The Shining by the end of the first week. <laughs> That's me. And so when you think about this right here, I mean, there, there, there came a point probably for all of us or some of us, and you're like, no, not me. And well, that's, seriously, God bless you if that's not you. But a lot of people I know, they reach a point where they miss their relationships, even the introverts, and they miss seeing people. And then you start believing the lies that you tell yourself. You ever believe the lies that you tell yourself? I don't know if you know this. You lie to yourself a lot. Think about it. Who do you talk to the most in your life? Yourself. What's the subject of the conversation that you talk to yourself about? Yourself. Who do you lie about? Either you think too highly of yourself or too lowly of yourself. Yourself. You talk to yourself about yourself and lie to yourself about yourself all the time. <laughs> That's why one of my favorite verses is how the New Century Version translates Proverbs 4.23. Be careful what you think for your thoughts on your life. It's easy to think that you have little value when you don't have a community <laughs> in person, surrounding you, or even online. It's easy to start thinking, I really don't matter. The texts are getting less. The calls are getting less. You know, if I get on another Zoom call, I'm going to rip my kneecaps off. I can't stand it. (laughs) Maybe not that severe, but still. Listen, God thinks you have immense value. He did not send his son to die on the cross for trash. God loves people. No matter who you are, And then you look at the next word here, the crippled, those where it takes you time to get around places. Can you relate with that? Does does the world feel like it's moving too fast? You ever felt like that? You ever go out and you get the new version of the cell phone? Like the Android or the Samsung or the iPhone if you're saved, and you get your new phone, (laughs) and you're excited And then next week, they come out with the new version of the iPhone, except it's two updates later and two versions later. And now you feel like a toothless hillbilly living in the Appalachian Mountains. (laughs) What am I supposed to do with this right here? You can't do anything. It only has one camera, not three. Like, the world moves fast. It's easy to feel out of place. And the great thing about this is that out of place people always have a place with God. And if you feel out of place today, this is the right place. You are in the right place. And then the word right here, the blind, it can mean not being able to see, but it can also mean slow to perceive. You ever been in conversations and you just can't catch up? Maybe people know a lot about the news and you don't. Trust me, your life is better. Maybe people know a lot about uh, current topics or culture or society. People are talking about football. You don't know about football. You're like, I mean, we talk about table tennis, is that a sport or that's not one? Oh, man, you're like, golf is a sport? Really? Why? And I mean, you just, you feel like you can't be in the conversation or if like in my family, like extended family, not my wife and kids or my mother-in-law because I don't want to get in trouble and it's not true. But the extended family, people just keep on talking and you feel like you literally have to be a bull in a china shop to get a word in. You ever have a day like that? Yeah, because, you know, with your spouse or kids, you can just look at them and go. (laughs) Other people you can't, unless you just don't care like me, and then you do it all the time. (laughs) And then the lame, those who are born with disorders, whether it's mental health disorders, whether it's other disorders, biological disorders, um, uh, health disorders, so on and so forth. Listen, it's easy to feel like you have little value. That's why I tell you, this is a church, it's a great church where it's okay for you to come. And for us to join arms. And we're going to disagree with each other. And my question to you will be, will you follow Jesus even if you disagree with him? Will you follow Jesus even during the times when you think he's out to lunch? You're like, I don't agree with that. Well, let's continue right here. Look at verse 22. After the servant had done this, he reported that there's still room for more. This guy's house is huge. Because towns in the first century, you had anywhere between like 200 to 2,000 people. Like his house is able to handle the entire town, and as we're going to see a second, and then some. Do you know anybody who has a house that can fit 2,000 people? You're like, yeah, I do. No, Ed and Shirley don't have that house. Trust me. Their house might be big. It's not 2,000 people big. They don't live in an Amazon uh, consignment facility or something like that. To comfortably fit that many people. This is where the exaggeration comes in. That he can fit the entire town. That's where what makes it so insulting that the first group of people, they, they just they were jealous. They didn't go because they were jealous of what he had, the authority and the money and the power. When Jesus came. Like the Pharisees, they were jealous of him because of the authority that he had and he came full of grace and truth and compassion and conviction and he didn't try to get people to follow him because of fear or because they, you know, wanted to control people. I mean, seriously, you would go to this guy's party if he invited you. Like, it would be like if Nicolas Cage called you. You would go, right? What, you don't like national treasure? You don't like raising Arizona? What's the matter with you? Nicolas Cage. Okay, people, uh, listen. If the Queen of England called you, yeah. you, would, oh, there you go. <laughs> the Queen of England called you, if she called me, I would go. If you're like, oh, I wouldn't go, well, what has she done to you? Nothing, okay? If she called me and said, Caleb, I'm going to give you a first-class ticket on my Learjet. I'm going to fly you out. You can spend the night at Buckingham Palace. You can eat. I'm going to pay for the whole thing. You know what I'm going to say? Liz, I'm in. (laughs) You would go, right? Yeah, the correct answer is yes. If you're saying, oh, I wouldn't go. Okay, well, you just hang out in your room, you know, by yourself with your pet tarantula. Here's the deal, like, this, this guy is so famous that people would want to do that. And then you look at verse 23, there's still room for more. Verse 23 and verse 24 as we close out this parable. So his master said, go out into the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge anyone you find to come so that the house will be full. For none of those I first invited will even get the smallest taste of my banquet." And so whereas at first people's jaws would have dropped when he said, hey, his friends aren't coming, people's jaws would have hit the ground when he says, we're going to cross economic boundaries and territories, now people would have passed out. Because when when Jesus says, the master says, go out into the country lanes, what he's saying is, go beyond the city limits. The religious leaders would have understood. The common people who were Jewish would have understood. He's saying, go get the non-Gentile people and invite them in. Just like there are no economic barriers or territories when it comes to the kingdom of God, there are no ethnic boundaries or territories. Do you know that? None. Like, if you think that there are are ethnic territories in in the kingdom of God, you're not going to like heaven, so you might not want to go. Like, you're just really not going to like it you might want to try another religion because one of my favorite verses is Revelation 7-9 when it says, Before the throne of the Lamb was every tongue, every tribe, every nation. There, there is no racial or ethnic territories in God's kingdom. God, the, the body, the church is a beautiful mosaic. And, and so, like, I mean, the Jewish people, they would have said, No, 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 no. You, you can't do that. You know, this whole thing we've got going on here, it's just for Jewish people. And Jesus says, well, guess what? It's getting ready to be an everything, an every one thing, not just a Jewish thing, an every one thing. All people, no matter what, And you go outside the city limits. And then he says, go behind the hedges. And in the original language, this paints a picture of somebody who has been so hurt that they build up a wall and a fortress around them. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been so hurt by family members or friends where you're just like, I'm tired of people. I'm tired of relationships. You know, everybody I see is like Ted Bundy. I'm just going to build up a wall all around me like this. And nobody's going to be able to get in. And you know some of those people. Listen. If there's anybody that understands what it's like to be hurt by your best friends and by people you love, it's Jesus. He was betrayed by all of them. And this is a place where it's okay to come. Because guess what? When when you are wounded, God can use you like nothing else. There is immense power and pain that God can use for his glory. Hear, Hear me out here, okay? Don't ever allow the walls to get so big that not even Jesus can penetrate. And so what is the principle that we get that will help us navigate this tension that we feel between what we believe and people we love and the decisions they make or the decisions we're making? It's this, that grace is for everyone, and that includes anyone. You have to remember this that grace the invitation of grace that grace is for everyone and that includes anyone now let's let's do a little audience participation you're going to fill in the blank here grace is for everyone okay not everyone said that so we're going to go back until we get it straight so if you're not participating we'll keep on going back you're holding everybody back don't be that don't be that guy or that woman or whatever you are so grace is for everyone and that includes and then I decided to add dot, dot, dot. Even the any ones you don't like or don't understand. Let me, let me just clarify. Grace is for everyone. That includes anyone. Even the any ones you don't like or don't understand. Now, let me, let me tell you exactly what I mean, okay? Who are the any ones? We all have our any ones. The people you don't like, the people that don't like you, the people that you don't understand, the people that are making decisions that you would never make, the people that have made mistakes. You think I would never make that kind of mistake. Who are your any ones? For some of you, your anyones are people who voted for the other candidate. Yeah, you guys are better than the first service. First service is like, I'm not going to say a word on that. (laughs) For some of you, your anyones are people who are in relationships that you would never be in and you don't understand. For some of you, your anyones are people that you work with. Your anyones could be, you might be like me and your anyones are like the, Ultra-extreme cultural fundamentalist Christians. Like, theologically, I'm a conservative Christian theologically, but, like, there are some people, like, they, they, they go beyond conservative, and they're, like, they've invented, okay, they've invented, like, a whole different version of Christianity. Like, where you can't tell the difference between where their politics begins and their faith begins. And they see their faith through the lens of their politics, not the other way around. Like, those are the people that I have trouble with, the religious elite. But guess what? I have to remember that Jesus, guess what? He met with Pharisees like Nicodemus. He had dinner at Simon the Pharisee's house. When he chose not to throw a stone at the sinful, adulterous woman in John 8, he also didn't throw stones at the Pharisees, right? He could have, but he didn't. He engaged them all the time because Jesus modeled that grace is for everyone, And that includes anyones, even the anyones that you and I may not like or understand. So how do we live this out? Here are a few quick things, okay? Number one, never allow fear from some people to determine the value of many people. Never allow the fear of some to determine the value of many. And I think we really need to hear this right now, especially as next year is a midterm election, another election. It's like, oh, I got to bail on earth before that happens. Never allow fear from some to determine the value of many. You know why in the first century people didn't cross economic um, like, uh, like economic uh, classes or why people didn't get to know other individuals of, of different ethnicities and races in them? Here's why. Because they were afraid. Listen, fear can be a horrible thing, but I don't care. I'm going to say this. Fear is not a bad thing. If somebody tells you, oh, fear is bad, those people are morons. They don't know what they're talking about. God gave you the capacity to feel fear for a reason. You ever felt uneasy around someone? Yeah, absolutely, right? You probably married that person eventually, but still. <laughs> you ever felt uneasy around somebody? You just don't know why? If you're hiking like where I live and you see a mountain lion, you should be afraid. You, if you see a bear, you should be afraid. It's like, oh, I got my gun. That's not going to help you against a bear. That's not going to help you against the mountain lion. You're going to get one shot, and in that mountain lion, uh, he's going to get you. You don't go, come on. Come here. No. No. Get up to heaven. God's like, you're in timeout for a while. <laughs> you're not getting in yet. You need to think about what you did down there. You see a rattlesnake. You don't pick it up and say, oh, you're a pretty snake. Put you in my pocket. You'll be dead. God will be like, timeout. Dunce camp on, right there. You can get in, in a little bit. It's like a far side cartoon. <laughs> you see, fear, God gave me that for a reason. But at the same time, when fear begins to direct our lives and impact our relationships, that's when it becomes toxic. We naturally fear uh, people, ideas, and things, and situations that we don't understand or threaten us and make us feel out of control. And so the, the opposite of fear is actually to lean into those relationships because you trust God and he lives in you, the one who knows all and has all the power in the, in the universe. Never allow the fear of some to determine the value of many. Here's the second thing. Accept everyone, but don't agree with just anyone. Okay? I believe that we are commanded by Scripture to accept everyone. And when I say accept, I mean loving that person, no matter who they are, no matter what they're doing, no matter the choices they've made in life, you love them. That's what Jesus talks about in Matthew 5, 38 through 48. If you only love those who love you, what reward will you get? Okay. It's what Jesus is talking about in Matthew 22, 37 through 40. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's what Paul's talking about in Romans 13, 8 through 10, when he says that loving your neighbor is fulfilling the whole law. And you think to yourself, man, I don't, I don't understand. Why didn't Paul say loving God with everything you are, your heart, soul, and mind, and then loving your neighbor is fulfilling the whole law? I'll tell you why. How do you think you love God with your heart, soul, and mind? You do that by loving your neighbor as yourself. You can't follow Jesus and be unloving. When you follow Jesus, you lost those rights. You don't have that right to be bitter, unforgiving, unloving. You don't have the right to be a jerk. Now, we have to accept everyone. That does not mean we have to agree with just anyone. You, do, you are not commanded by Scripture, not commanded by God to agree with everybody's theological convictions, with everybody's political opinions, with everybody's outlook on life, With everybody's relationship choices, you are not commanded to to agree with just anyone, but you are commanded to love everyone. That's why in the story, everybody's invited. Do you think the master agreed with everybody? No, but they're still invited to the banquet. Third thing is this. If you really want to navigate this tension, you have to learn to live in the tension of grace and truth. Most of us who are listening right now, actually, if you're a homo sapien, I would say that all of us, and you're like... Caleb, don't say that. No, homo sapien means human being. Okay, I know the educational system is far better here than in Los Angeles. Trust me. So, okay, if you're a human being, then you, when you were born, you're either naturally more about mercy or more about the rules, more about grace, more about truth. And, and, and here's the problem. We, we take sides between the two. That's the most un-Christlike thing we could ever do. Because when you look at Jesus, it says in John 1, 14, 17, that that he came full of both grace and truth at the same time. And you're always going to feel tension between the two. But if you take sides between grace and truth, just understand this. You're, You're going to go to heaven. See there? But you're not mature. Because mature people do not take sides between grace and truth. Never do they take sides between grace and truth. Because when you take sides, you know what it's like? It's like holding a rubber band by one side. Have you ever seen somebody hold a rubber band by one side? No, you would slap them. There's no reason to, right? Get them out of the trance they're in. <laughs> Serves no purpose. That's why when you're all about the grace but no truth, and you're the person that says, God loves you, God loves everybody, and you just want to sweep everything underneath the rug, and we don't have to, it'll be okay. We don't have to deal with that. Look, I love you, but you're annoying. Okay? That, that's weak. But guess what? You're equally as weak if you're all about the truth but no grace. You know these people, right? These are the people that know the Bible well. They want you to know that they know the Bible well. Like, why well, I think that verse is in Philippians? That's Galatians. <laughs> well, you know, Paul said in 1 Corinthians, that's 2 Corinthians. Like, I'm so glad you're here. Thank you for correcting me. I love being corrected. As a matter of fact, personally, I never knew how much I loved to be corrected until I got married. Especially when I'm driving. My wife is like a walking DMV. It's like, you're going, you know you're going five miles over? Yep. Now I'm going seven miles over. And then the conversation usually goes downhill from there. But this is weak. If you're all about the truth but no grace, so where is the power? Here's the power. If you are about the grace and the truth, where does the power lie? The power lies in the tension of the two. And it's uncomfortable, but there's a lot of power and tension it takes no effort. It's spiritually lazy to be all about the grace or all about the truth. It takes all the faith in the world to stretch over to the truth side if you're about grace or to stretch over to the grace side if you're about truth. And if you want to be like Jesus, you've got to learn to be uncomfortable. You can't be a Christian to be comfortable. Yeah, I mean, there's tension all throughout our faith. Like, there's not tension in one God of the Trinity? Hello. There's not tension in the fact that the Bible is inspired of God but written by people? Hello. Evil and death were defeated at the cross and resurrection, not yet destroyed. The virgin birth. Mm. (laughs) Miracles, God intervening in our sinful reality. Okay, you ever read Revelation? The wrath of the Lamb. (laughs) There's tension all throughout your faith. So why do we run from the tension of grace and truth? I'll tell you why. Because there are emotional attachments there. Grace and truth are always about relationships. You're more emotionally attached to other people than you are the concept of the inspiration of Scripture. That's why you wait, you've stood up all night worrying about somebody. You've never like, waited up all night worrying about how Jesus is fully God, fully human. You're like, okay, cool. <laughs> when you run from this tension, you're running from love because love is the tension that you feel between grace and truth. Love is never easy. And here's the last thing I'll say. When you don't know what to do and you're just like worrying, you're pacing, you've read the Bible, you've called Daryl at 3 in the morning because he loves getting 3 in the morning phone calls. Try it sometime. He loves it. And, 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 and Dave does too. Dave Bowersox, he, he's up at like 2 a.m., so call him. Um, and you're not sure what to do and you're trying to like, oh, man, how do I handle this tension? Ask yourself this question. What am I willing to do to keep and build influence with you fill in the blank. <laughs> What am I willing to do to keep and build influence with my son or daughter, with my brother or sister, with my friend, with my coworker, with my grandson, with my niece or nephew? What am I willing to do to keep and build influence with you? Fill in the blank of that person's name and you'll be able to measure what you're supposed to do. Because here's the deal if I'm your friend, especially when it comes to my wife and kids, I will do anything short of sinning to keep influence with them and to build it. You know why? Because I want to earn the right to be one of the first people they call or text when their life hits the bottom of the barrel. And I want to be able to leverage that time to be able to direct them towards Jesus and keep them focused on Jesus. Because those are the best times to tell people about Jesus and to let him change their lives from the inside out. Because here's the deal. You and I, were not good at changing our lives. We had to repent. We had to admit when we became Christians, I can't live my life on my own. No, I make good decisions. Yeah, no, you don't. Oh, I make good decisions. Ask your spouse, they'll tell you. They won't tell you they're lying. You'll make good decisions. You need Jesus in your life. So how are you gonna fix somebody else's? You can point them to the one that can change their life for eternity. I mean, listen, to build and keep influence with my kids I will charge the gates of hell with a squirt gun. And I know that I'll be criticized by other Christians, but I don't care, because if you're going to be criticized for anything, be criticized for what Jesus was criticized for, loving people too much. At the end of the day, I don't care what you think. I have an audience of one. He knows my heart. So here's a cool thing. Eventually, I I came out as a Christian when I was 16 to my three gay parents who are activists, and they kicked me out of the house. And, and eventually they let me back in. And, and, you know, then I went to Bible college in Southern Missouri. Have you ever been to Southern Missouri? Don't go. I mean, it's like, it's like most trees, family trees just go straight up. And they don't branch out, so I wouldn't recommend it. But then I moved out to Los Angeles because why not? was on staff at a church called Shepherd Church for 11 years. Got married to my wife. We moved to Texas because everybody's got to live in purgatory at some point. We eventually moved back the summer of 2013, but probably about, like I'd say, um, probably, I mean, I mean, like the, after the first year when we moved there in 2012, my mom and dad separated one another moved there. And they said, you, can we start attending your church? And I said, sure. You remember what I believe about sexuality and, and uh, marriage and so on? They're like, yeah, and they started attending the church and people treated them well. People treated them like people, not like projects. As a matter of fact, in the summer of 2013, two or three weeks before we moved back, at the ages of 69, 70, my mom and dad both gave their lives to Jesus Christ. How did that happen? Because a group of people in a church believed that grace was for everyone and that includes anyone. And you don't have to agree to love somebody or to be close to them. Jesus did it all the time. And so if you've come today and you have some hurts with Christianity, with Christians, or even with the church, I get that. Feel free to reach out to us at the Hills this week. We would love, Today, we would love to talk to you about that. If you have questions about who Jesus is, we want to talk to you. If you want to accept Jesus, email us, call us, wherever you are. If you're watching streaming online right now or after the fact or listening or reading a transcript and you have questions or you want to accept Jesus and follow him, contact us. And if you're like me and you're a Christian and you realize that there are people that you have held unfair grudges towards and you have treated differently, this is a time to repent. You can leave this service changed. You just got to own it. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for today. May we be people that love you, that follow you, that are for you. I pray for those who have been hurt by Christians, those who are thinking about following you, that they would reach out to somebody here at the Hills Church. And I pray for those of us who are already following you, help us, Father, help us to repent of the way we treated other people. That we've cared more about our egos or flexing our theological biceps than we have just loving our neighbor. Help us not to get into some kind of spiritual competition, but to love people because, Father, you get the most glory when people far from you become followers of you. It's in your son's name I pray.